You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. And with that, if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42, it's page 602 in your pew Bible. If you don't have your own copy of scripture, that's totally okay. Uh, It's page 602 in the pew Bible. Give you a chance to turn there. You know, the the great reformer, Martin Luther, said music is a glorious gift of God. Very much like to theology, I would not part with my little gifts of music for anything in the world. And church, I couldn't agree more. Music truly is a gift from God. And the thing about music is that it's so broad and it's so beautiful that everyone can enjoy their own style. And this is especially true in the church world where everyone has their favorite style of music or favorite song or hymn. For example, dentist's favorite hymn is crown him with many crowns. (laughs) Baker's favorite hymn is when the roll is called up yonder. Politicians absolutely love the hymn standing on the promises. You want me to keep going? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get all my dad jokes out in one shot here. Okay, so here we go. Pilots can't get enough of all fly away. Butchers are enthusiastic about the hymn, There's Power in the Blood. Optometrists can sing all day, Be Thou My Vision. Botanists are all about the hymn in the garden. And quite frankly, the only hymn that members of the IRS will sing is Jesus Paid It All. (laughs) I'm here all week, by the way. But church, in all seriousness, music, in particular worship music, is a beautiful gift because it's birthed out of God's word. And by singing it, we're able to learn more about the Lord. We're able to glorify him for what he's done, reflect on who we are in Christ, remind ourselves of his promises, and so much more. It's a gift. It's for this reason that Psalm 105, verses 1 and 1 to 3 says this. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell all of, tell of, all of his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Listen, guys, God's people are called to be a singing people. That's what we're called to be. I mean, I would do so great if the world was one big musical. Like, that's my jam. Like, I could see myself walking down the grocery store in the Pop-Tart aisle just singing about getting Pop-Tarts. So I'm kind of hoping that heaven's a little bit like that. We're called to sing. Well, this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah... We're going to look at a passage that inspires us to do exactly what Psalm 105 tells us to do, to sing praises to God. It's one of four passages in the book of Isaiah that many scholars refer to as servant songs. They were first coined this term uh, by a guy named Bernard Dumm, a German Bible commentator in 1892. In essence, each one of these songs, in one way or another, describe the service, suffering, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. They can be found in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53. And interestingly enough, we have no real evidence that any of these servant songs were actually ever sung, but the term has come to stay nonetheless. And in today's text, we're going to look at the first servant song, which prophetically introduces the person and work of Jesus Christ to the people of Judah, and it will inspire them to respond in worship and praise. And it's through this special song that we're going to be given an important truth to remember as believers. And it's this. It's really simple. It's the reality of a Savior is our reason for singing. That's what it comes down to. The reality of our Savior. Why do we sing? It's because of our Savior. And you're going to understand that more as we go through today's passage. So let's bow our heads and pray. Ask God's blessing on our time in his word. 
Father God, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to open up your word and the privilege that it is. And I pray, Father God, that I would not get in the way of your living and active word. God, that, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word, you would use this morning's message to touch each heart here in whatever way you see fit. Lord, may we leave here closer to your son Jesus than when we arrived. And may we leave here with hearts that are full of praise for who you are and what you've done. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of you who are just jumping into our study, maybe you're new to our church, first time here, whatever, uh, allow me to provide just a little bit of context so you can, I can catch you up to speed. So the first half of the book of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, they deal with God's judgment over his people for their sin and rebellion. And so as a result, they were sentenced to Babylonian captivity. Well, the second half of the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, deal with God's future hope and restoration of his people. And so the words that we're going to read this morning were written to the people of Judah who were already in, in captivity and in need of encouragement. Now in chapter 41, the chapter before 42, uh, the prophet Isaiah hinted at the Lord's long-range plans for the people of Judah. In other words, he would raise up a leader who would overthrow the Babylonian Empire, release the Jews from captivity, and allow them to return to their homeland. This was a reference to Cyrus the Great, who would one day come and lead the Persian Empire and liberate God's people from physical bondage. Well, here in chapter 42, Isaiah hints at a different kind of leader, a servant leader. And this leader would come to liberate God's people from spiritual bondage and establish his kingdom on earth. And the reality of his coming would cause his people then and should cause his people now to rejoice and respond in singing. And thanksgiving. So let's begin. We're going to read the whole passage and then we'll break it down. It's Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Follow along with me. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully Bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Church, have you ever taken a step back and looked at the world and asked, what in the world is going on? Anybody ever, or is that just me? How many people just kind of look, what is going on? The prevalence and acceptance of sin, the lack of common sense, the overall perversion of society is deeply distressing and discouraging. And I mean, I don't know about you, but there are days when after reading the headlines, I want to book a one-way ticket straight to the moon. Straight to the moon. No turning back. 
I don't care if it's NASA or SpaceX or Star Wars or Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty. I want out of here. Anybody agree? Well, we can't go anywhere, so suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Friends, the beauty of the servant songs is that each one of them, in their own way, shows how Jesus was sent to right every wrong. Not only do they reveal God's plan of salvation for his people, but they also reveal his plan of restoration for the world. They serve as a reassuring reminder that help has come, help is with us, and that help is on the way. The timeless truths found within the servant song should inspire every single one of us to remain faithful because they show that the Lord is on our side and that one day he's going to make all things right and new. And so today's servant song can be broken down into four headings. I broke it down into four headings that reveal God's sovereign plan for his chosen servant, Jesus Christ. Just so we're clear, we're talking about Jesus this morning. So let's begin with the first heading. It's this, the pronouncement of God's servant, the pronouncement. Look at verse 1. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. You know, we've all heard that expression, that's music to my ears, right? And it's an expression that we say when we hear news that is pleasing and encouraging and brings us happiness. Well, undoubtedly, the pronouncement of God's coming servant leader would have been music to the ears to the people of Judah, who at this point were defeated, doubtful, and disillusioned over their captivity in Babylon. And so right out of the gate, God called his people to give special attention to this chosen servant. Because this servant would be identified as someone who was upheld by God, delighted in by God, and would possess the spirit of God. And so, in essence, this servant leader would be completely distinct and set apart from all other earthly leaders. He would be someone with whom the Lord had a deeply special and affectionate relationship. Of course, we see throughout the New Testament the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. 2 Peter 1.17 describes it this way. He, meaning Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him in, in, from majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And so it's through God's beloved son, his chosen servant, that justice, see justice, verse 1, actually justice we see all throughout this passage, but that justice would come to all the nations. Now that word justice includes within its scope a longing for a better life and better world. How many of you today, just by show of hands, long for a better life and better world? Show of hands? I would think so. We all do, right? We all long for a world that is devoid of corruption and sin. We all long for a world where evil is punished and righteousness is rewarded instead of the flip side. In his famous I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This was a direct quote from the book of Isaiah, by the way. Church, there will come a day when his dream, which is God's dream, and our longings will be realized. There will come a day when Jesus returns from heaven to rule and reign in perfect righteousness. There will come a day when evil no longer stands. There will come a day when justice is served. Isaiah 9, 7 points to this day. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with what? Justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of the host will do this. Friends, we serve a God who is passionate about fulfilling his promises. And so all this to say, if you find yourself, and, I'm, and again, I find myself there too, so I'm, I'm preaching to myself, but if we find ourselves disheartened at the sinful state of our world, just hold on. Because justice to the nations isn't a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It's happening. And this leads us to the second heading, which is the personality of God's servant. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You know, shortly after I graduated from college, I interviewed for a company that based who they hired off of the results of a personality test. A lot of companies do that, apparently. Uh, in other words, the results of the personality test ultimately determined whether or not I would be hired for the job. Now, I got Mr. Personality when I was a senior in high school, so I was, I was feeling pretty good about taking this test, right? And so I took the test, and upon receiving the results of the test, it was determined that I would not be a good fit for the company. My personality did not align with the type of leader that was expected for the position. Well, evidently, because I am Mr. Personality, I must have wooed those who interviewed me because they were shocked at the results of the test and they wanted to invite me in for a second interview. And so following that second interview, they decided to ignore the results of the personality test and hire me anyway. And church, it worked out great for the company until, of course, I quit. You see, church, the, the personality of God's servant doesn't quite align with what most people think or expect when it comes to a strong earthly leader. This is especially true in Isaiah's day when strong leaders were associated with being tyrannical and ruling with an iron fist. But as we'll soon see, this alternative type of leadership style was actually going to cause things to work out great for God's people, including you and I. The prophet begins by declaring, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So this was a description of Christ's first coming, his earthly ministry. When he came, he led from a position of humility and service. And likewise, he didn't advertise himself. You see, unlike politicians today who spend millions of dollars on commercials advertising who they are and why we should follow them, Jesus took a totally different approach. His earthly ministry was relatively quiet, non-aggressive, and unthreatening. In fact, think about how many times Jesus performed this great miracle and he said, don't tell anyone about this. Instead of establishing his kingdom by tyrannical force, Jesus established it by speaking words of peace and truth to brokenhearted sinners. He also led with patience and compassion instead of oppression and outrage. Isaiah writes, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You see, unlike many who hold positions of power, Jesus doesn't kick people when they're down. Instead, he offers to keep us and encourage us and lift us up. I love what Psalm 3.3 says. It says, but you, O Lord, you're a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Anybody ever experienced that before? You're just down and the Lord lifts you up. Another notable personality trait of God's servant is that he never fails, and he always accomplishes what he sets out to do. Look at verse 4. 
It says, he will not grow faint or discouraged till he has accomplished justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. You know, in our, in our current political climate, we are very much used to hearing empty promises from politicians, right? Many will promise they're going to accomplish this thing or that thing to get our votes, but sadly, once they arrive in Washington, many tend to leave those promises at the doorstep of Capitol Hill, forgetting the words that they gave to the people. Well, God, on the other hand, he never falters nor forgets the promises that he gives to his people. For a second time, Isaiah reminds us that if God said it will be done, it's as good as done. The Lord will not relent. He will not grow weary in fulfilling his promises. And in this particular case, his promise was to establish perfect justice on earth. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes. They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So church, I say this again because it does bear repeating. No matter how bleak things may seem out there, no matter how discouraging our circumstances may be, we can rest assured that the days of corruption and evil are numbered and a new day is on the horizon. Psalm 37, verses 28 through 29, it declares, For the Lord loves justice, and he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked, they're going to be cut off. But the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Amen? This brings us to the third heading, the purpose for God's servant. The purpose. Look at verse 5 through 7. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I mean, this is God saying, this is who you're, who's saying this. This is, this, is, this is the God that you serve, so listen up. He says this, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. He's talking about uh, his chosen servant. And I will take you by the hand, and I will keep you, and I will give you as a covenant to the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. You know, my family loves to watch this show called Flea Market Flip. Anybody ever watched Flea Market Flip before? Basically, there's two teams who compete against each other by purchasing items at a cheap price. And then they restore, refurbish, and reinvent them and sell them at a higher price, and whoever gets the most money wins. And so the show begins by showing these contestants rummaging through what I consider to be junk, absolute junk. Uh, but the contestants see what that worthless junk could be. And so to them, there's more than what meets the eye. To them, they see this masterpiece in the making. They have the ability to take what is otherwise worthless and make it valuable. The whole premise of the show. Well, church, in many ways, this was God's promise for his chosen, or purpose, I should say, for his chosen servant, Jesus. He came to take us out of the junkyard of sin and make us into a brand new, valuable masterpiece. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 in the in New Living Translation, it says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. He took the old, made it new, made it a masterpiece. And so the prophet Isaiah here explains four ways how Jesus would accomplish this very purpose. Number one, he would first be a covenant for the people. A covenant for the people. Now that word covenant can mean a lot of things in scripture, but in this context, it means that Jesus would serve as a mediator or the means by which people can restore their relationship with God. 
You know, for several years, my family and I uh, have been blessed with the opportunity to go to Marathon, Florida, which is located in the Keys. And now, if you know anything about Marathon, you know that there's a seven-mile bridge that connects it to the next key going south. Look at that beautiful water, man. It's so awesome. But there's a seven-mile bridge that connects it to the very next key going south. In fact, this is the one and only road to get from one key to the other. There is no other way. Church, the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. You see, there are many people who take the old adage, all roads lead to Rome, and apply it to God. They believe that there's many ways to get to heaven. But that's not what scripture teaches. In Marathon, Florida, there's only one bridge that will get you to where you want to go. And the same is true when it comes to our faith. Jesus is the only bridge or mediator or covenant for the people between us and God. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen, I, I get it. I get that we're living in a world that is like pushing inclusivity of everything. And I get that for some people, this truth may be hard to swallow. But listen, Instead of pushing back against this hard truth, we should be celebrating it. We should be celebrating the fact that God made a way at all for us to get to heaven. Amen? Otherwise, we'd all be in trouble. Second, Jesus would be a light for the nations. Some of your translations might say a light for the Gentiles. And church, this is an important observation for this reason. Gentiles means you and me. You and me. You see, the promises that were linked to God's servant weren't just limited to the people of Judah. They apply to anyone in the world who believes in him. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Everybody. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, in a previous sermon, I mentioned that the earth can, cannot function without sunlight. If the sun were to suddenly disappear, the earth would be okay for about eight minutes. And then afterwards, complete chaos would ensue. Without sunlight, photosynthesis would stop, killing many plants. Within a few days, temperatures would drop. Human race would quickly die out. In a few months, the ocean surface would freeze over. And eventually, the atmosphere would collapse. Radiation would creep in. And the earth would turn into an inhospitable wasteland. Well, the same is true when it comes to our spiritual lives. Without the light of Jesus, that's why it's so important that he's the light of the nations. Because without the light of Jesus, our souls are nothing but inhospitable wastelands, quickly dying out. However, when we embrace his light, we are given new life. John 1, 4 says, in him, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Third, Isaiah tells us that Jesus would open the eyes of the blind. Open the eyes of the blind. <laughs> Literally and spiritually. You know, over 250 years ago, John Newton was compelled to write the beloved hymn, Amazing Grace, which is really a story of conversion. You see, before dedicating his life to the Lord's service, John Newton was involved in the slave trade and admitted to treating some of his slaves abhorrently. And after becoming violently ill on a sea voyage, the Lord opened his eyes uh, to the wretchedness of his ways. And upon this realization, Newton abandoned his sinful life as a slave trader and devoted his life to God. And this conversion inspired the lyrics, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Church, the Bible teaches that we, just like Newton, are naturally, spiritually 
blind. In our own power, we're unable to see the error of our ways. In our own power, we're unable to view our sinful thoughts and actions the same way that God views them. In our own power, we're unable to see past the darkness, and God sent his servant, Jesus, to help us see clearly. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, but when, the veil, or, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And lastly, Isaiah tells us that Jesus will bring out prisoners from the dungeon. You know, death row is a place in a prison that houses inmates awaiting execution. It's a place of isolation and exclusion and restriction reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. Well, the Bible teaches that, spiritually speaking, all of us are on death row. We're all sitting in death row. Now, you might be saying, well, I'm not, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, I'm not a murderer, and listen, I'm really glad you're not a murderer, because otherwise things might get awkward in here really quick. We have to bring our security team on you. Glad you're not a murderer. But you see, the Bible teaches that according to God's holy standards, we don't need to be a murderer to be on death row. We just need to be a sinner. We just need to be a sinner. And all of us are sinners. In fact, Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 says, For all have sinned, all means all, and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. We're all on death row. Spiritually speaking, all of us are isolated and excluded from the Lord. And all of us are awaiting death and eternal separation from God because of our sins. That's just the, the natural state of man. And so, friends, that's what makes Isaiah's news of God's servant such good news. Because according to the prophet, Jesus was sent to release our chains and open up the prison doors and set us free. And so all this to say, the purpose of God's chosen servant was to seek and save and liberate and renew which was lost. He came to take our mess and transform it into a masterpiece. That's his purpose, according to Isaiah. And this leads us to the fourth and final heading, which is the proof for God's servant, the proof. Look at verses 8 and 9. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. You see, God's people were struggling with, with, with idol worship. And so the Lord made sure to, to address that. And then he says this, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So why do I call this heading the proof for God's servant? Well, here's why. In life, it's natural to want confirmation on certain things. And what I mean by that is, whenever we purchase an item, or return an item, or ship an item, we usually get a receipt or an email that confirms our order, right? And when we don't get that receipt, we're kind of nervous. Like, did it go through? Like, what if something happens? Like, the receipts gives us a little bit of peace of mind that even if something goes awry with that transaction, we have proof that it was legitimate, yes? Well, in these closing verses, the Lord provides the people of Judah proof that his words are legitimate. And he does so, he says, the proof is in the past. The proof is in the past. You see, he declares, behold, the former things have come to pass. In other words, God called his people to trust in what he will do on the basis of what he's already done. Because God has a perfect track record of keeping his, record, keeping his word. Perfect track record. 
Church, there is a great lesson for us today. So listen closely. Just like the people of Judah, if you are facing a crisis that has left you embittered, disillusioned, and defeated, if you're on the verge of breaking down, if something in your life has gone awry and you're doubting whether or not God's going to come through uh, for you, you can strengthen your faith by remembering what he's already done. The Bible is chucked full of heavenly receipts. Every page in scripture is a receipt that says, hey, I got you. This, this will happen. God's promises. And listen, I get it because I've been there. I have personally been there more times than I, than I freely like to admit. I get that sometimes circumstances in your life weigh you down so much that, that they cloud your judgment and you have trouble remembering what he's done. Anybody ever been there? I've got a solution to that. Okay? And it's just a solution that I've been able to apply to my own life. We have a symbol of hope to remind us of, of God's unfailing love. Even when we can't, we're so clouded with our judgment, we can't even see uh, past what's right in front of our faces. We do have a symbol. And that symbol is the cross. The cross. As Pastor Dave reminded us last week, even if we have nothing else, friends, we have the cross. And the cross is enough. The cross is enough. The cross is proof that God always keeps his promises. It's proof that he loves us. It's proof that he will always, 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 always come through his, for his people. You know, even when we're in the muck and the mire, we can't see past, like, the circumstance that's in front of us. Oh, God, how does God love me? He's letting me go through this. He loved, Look at the cross. Let's not forget what God went through for you and I. The cross is proof that God always comes through for his people. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you got nothing else, just look, look to the cross. You know, the hymnist had it right when he wrote, standing on the promises that cannot fail, cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear sail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Church, can we please celebrate the fact that we have a God who keeps his promises this morning. I mean, like, literally celebrate it. Come on. How about it? We got to get some of the Baptists out of this room. You guys got to celebrate a little bit more because this is huge. This is huge. And you know what? You know why we got to celebrate? Because that's exactly how the people of Judah celebrated. Or, or that was their response, I should say, when they heard this news. As I mentioned earlier, this prophetic message would have been music to the ears of the people of Judah. They were so discouraged. They needed somebody to lift them up, and God came and said, oh, I got something for you. I'm sending my servant, Jesus. And, and I'm sure they couldn't have, I'm sure they did not understand the full brevity of what everything meant when Isaiah said that, but they, it was enough. They knew enough to respond. Look at verse 10. It says, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. And the rest of the chapter is just this, them singing this song of praise to God. Why? Because the Savior's coming. God's chosen servant is coming. And so, friends, should not our response be the same thing? The people of Judah couldn't help but sing God's praises. When we reflect on the person and work of Jesus, when we consider who he is and what he's done and what he will do, when we think about the salvation 
he's given to us and the restoration he has in store for us, how can we keep from singing? Like, if you're a Christian and you can't sing, we got a problem. Not we. You guys got a problem. Because we are supposed to be a people who sing and celebrate who God is and what he's done. That's who we are. I don't know what you're going to do in heaven. If you don't like to sing on earth, you're going to be in deep trouble in eternity. That's what we're going to be singing God's praises. So you might as well start now. Go on that Pop-Tart aisle and go nuts. You're going to look nuts too, but go nuts. Our response should be unadulterated, unhindered, unashamed worship. The reality of a Savior is our reason for singing. And I'll be honest, there are some Sundays... There are some Sundays, like, listen, your pastor is just struggling, right? i got to work past that. I get that. we all got to do that. We, we, everyone that comes to these doors, sometimes we carry some weights. And sometimes I, I got that cloud of judgment. And you know what brings me back? The cross. And if I got nothing else, I'm like, wow, Lord, like, you know what? You saved me from the pit of hell. And that's enough for me to sing your praises today. And so in just a moment, we're going to close by doing just that. We're just going to close by singing God's praises. And I encourage you to do that. And embrace the art of worship. But before we do, I just want to close briefly by addressing those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Friend, if that's you, then I'll be honest, you don't have much to sing about this morning. Because you have no hope. You have no real hope to cling to. However, that can all change right here and right now. The Bible teaches that your sin separates you from God. Yet God, in his great love for you, became a man in Jesus, died on the cross, taking the punishment of your sins and my sins upon himself. Three days later, he rose from the dead. We serve a living God. And in doing so, because he rose from the grave, he provided a way to receive forgiveness for your sins and give you everlasting life. John 3.16 is probably a verse that you've seen written all over the place in in the world. Sometimes you see it on commercials and other things, which is great, but sometimes you might miss the points. I'll read it to you again. It says, For God so loved the world. If you can give me liberty, for God so loved you. You. That he gave his one and only son. That if you should believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. It's a beautiful gift. And so friend, if you want to be forgiven for your sins, be assured of your salvation, and enjoy all the blessings and benefits that I spoke about today, then all you must do is admit that you're a sinner. Which I, I get is tough, but that's, you need to recognize who you are before the Lord. Admit you're a sinner, repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you, and simply believe in the person and work of Jesus. Well, do I have to do all these good things to get to heaven? No, 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 no. That, that, that system fails every time. Because there's, there's, there's no amount of good works that you're going to be able to do to go to heaven. That's why Jesus came. That's why the cross matters. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Just receive him by faith. If you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. And if you'd like more information on what it means to be saved, you could, do so, you could, you could let us know several ways. You can mark it on your Connect card, drop it in the basket on your way out. You could talk to uh, myself or one of the other pastors, um, and, and we'll be happy to have that conversation with you. You could talk with the person who brought you, uh, and I'm sure that they would be thrilled to share with you how to know for sure that you are saved. You can come up front, grab an information packet here uh, in front of the pulpit. It just has some information about 
um, questions that you might have. It has a copy of the Gospel of John as well. So if you need to get right with Jesus, you do that this morning. I promise it'll be the best decision you'll ever make. And so at this time, I'd like to invite the praise team forward along with the prayer team. And as they're making their way forward, we're going to close by, by celebrating the fact that we have a Savior, that God sent his chosen servant uh, to save us. Let me pray to close this out, and then we'll sing. Father God, I want to thank you for your word and the richness that we find in the book of Isaiah, Lord. It's easy to just dismiss some of these passages in the Old Testament as, as not applicable for us today, but that couldn't be further from the truth. All of your word is profitable. And God, we see this morning uh, the, the blessed assurance that you gave to your people that you were sending a servant to come and to open up the eyes of the blind, release the prisoners from darkness, to be a covenant word. And we are so thankful for it. And so God, as we wrap things up, help us to express our gratitude for who you are and what you've done by singing your praises. And God, if there's anyone here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, may they give their hearts and their lives over to you today. We'll give you all the glory. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.